If you are a lover of music, which would probably be all of us, no matter what genre it's in, whether it's uh, country, rock, R&B, jazz, we all know within the music world, uh, there are those that we call one-hit wonders. Those folks that we don't know where they come from, they all of a sudden show up on the scene. They generally make one popular song and then they're never heard of again. Uh, maybe the music producers and music company found some potential or at least the ability to make some money off of one hit and then they uh, just kind of disappear from the music scene. Sometimes in scripture we have some one hit wonders. Folks in the scriptures that we don't hear about maybe other than once or twice, and yet that one or two times that we see them in Scripture, they can make a vastly good impact on us. Our Old Testament Scripture reading this morning came from 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and we have in chapter 4 a one-hit wonder, Jabez, a man who essentially shows up out of nowhere in our Scriptures doesn't show up again, and yet leaves a fairly impactful imprint on the scriptures and on us. Now, as we organize our time together, uh, I'll be looking at three points from these very short two verses. We'll be looking at the man of prayer, the prayer of the man, and the God to whom he prays. The man of prayer, the prayer of this man, and the God to whom he prays. Jabez, a man that we have not heard of before, as if you begin reading from Genesis. We get to 1 Chronicles. Now, the first nine chapters of Chronicles, if you look, is all genealogy, <clears throat> listing this person is the son of this person, this tribe. And every so often in those first nine chapters of Chronicles, we get a couple verses where the author decides to add a short narrative about one of the folks uh, in that genealogy. Chapter 4, we get to uh, another set of genealogy, and yet here comes this man, Jabez, and the narrative that the author puts in about him. And the only other place we even hear of the word Jabez is in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, where there's a city named Jabez. Now, it's possible that this is named after the man, we're not sure, but it's the only two times we hear of this man's name. But within these two short verses, we learn a few things about this man, Jabez. First thing we learn about this man is that he is considered honorable. The text says he is more honorable than his brothers. Now, it's possible a better translation is that he has been honored or is honored above his brothers. Meaning that Jabez's character may not have been the greatest. We don't know for sure. It may just be that he was honored above the people in his tribe and in his family lineage, and he was honored above his brothers, that his position was one of honor. But it could also mean that he held that position because he did have good character, or that he was a righteous man. But that's the only thing we really know about him, is that when it comes to his family, he had a position of honor. The second thing we learn about this man, Jabez, is his birth narrative. Now, as we read through Scripture, there are plenty of times we get these short birth narratives where something special happens during a person's life or a per during a person's birth. 
What we know about Jabez is that clearly whatever happened during his birth, at least to his mother, it was painful. Now, I'm not a woman, but as far as I can tell from the three kids my wife had, they all seem painful. And generally speaking, if you want to name your child pain, it generally happens after they've grown out of the cute infant stage, at the phase where they, be, they become a pain. And yet we know from the life of Jabez, or at least the, at least the birth narrative of Jabez, something happened where his mother decided, I'm going to name you pain. Now throughout scripture that happens where a mother names their child based on the narrative surrounding that child's birth story. Now, in our family, our youngest daughter, we have three. Our youngest daughter's name is Zoe, which means life. Now, if you met Zoe, you would know that she is full of life, which is just my nice way of saying that she has way too much energy and she can't sit still. But her name is Zoe also, not only because she just has a lot of life and we like the name, but also because her birth narrative is one where she clearly had a whole lot of life right from the beginning. Keep a long story short, uh, my wife and I never made it to the hospital. Zoe said she wanted to be born at home, and we never made it into the car. She gave, my wife gave birth to Zoe right in our apartment, right in the bathroom, and I did the best I could to catch her. She decided when she wanted to come here, and even to this day, she decides what she wants to do. And we're trying to tamper that down. But her birth narrative is one where she's full of life. She's one of those babies where you look at her and go, that girl been here before. Jabez's birth narrative is not necessarily a good one. His mother didn't name him life. His mother decided, I'm going to name you pain. So these are two things we know about Jabez. He was an honored man. He held the position of honor, at least amongst his among his brothers. The other thing we know about Jabez is that his birth narrative had to be filled with much pain for his mother to name him such. The only thing we know about this man, though, at least as far as his action, is that he was a man of prayer. We don't know what his trade was in life. We don't know where he worked. We don't know Anything else about this man, but we have on record that he prayed. It's possible that we know this because he was known in his community as a man of prayer. Now, just like you, I've been to many funerals and you hear a lot of nice things told about the person that's laying in front of us. But it's extremely rare. I've gone to a funeral and someone said, you know, this man laying before us was just a man of prayer. It's possible that we just don't pray enough and pray as we should, that people would label us as such, as people of prayer. But even more than just our personal lives, we as the church should be known as a people of prayer. When people describe the church of God, they should describe us those folks pray. It's interesting that when we notice the one time when Jesus gets probably the most angry, when he's turning over the tables and ripping through, what he gets angry about, he says, you know, you guys have made the Lord's house a den of robbers and thieves. You've, 
You've turned into a marketplace and that's not what this place is supposed to be. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. Now we know that Jesus wasn't necessarily talking specifically about the church, but we know that those words still are good for us. That this place and we as a people, as the church, should be known as a people of prayer. This church should be known as a house of prayer. I would even add if, I mean, if you don't mind, but I'll do it anyway. First Timothy chapter two, Paul is writing to the church, he's writing to Timothy, but he's also writing to the church that's in Ephesus. And Paul tells the church, you should pray for all people. Pray for kings and those who are in authority in order that we as a church would live a quiet and godly life. Apostle Paul tells the church, pray. In this political season, which I haven't been voting that long, within my short voting period, this may be one of the wildest or whatever label you want to put on it, craziest times of a political season. And maybe I shouldn't be on Twitter as much, but a lot of times I see Christians, members of the church, going back and forth, arguing vehemently about whatever their particular candidate is and why you should vote this way and why you should vote that way. Now, there's nothing wrong with a little disagreement. There's nothing wrong with us pushing and pulling. There's nothing wrong with defending why you're voting the way you vote. I have no problem with that, but it's, I do think it's sad when that's all we're known for right now. There's people who argue. And the Apostle Paul seems to tell us that our responsibility as a church, no matter who gets elected, no matter who shows up and wins in the polls in a couple weeks, that our position, our disposition as a church should be to pray. Whether your guy wins, whether your guy loses, or whether you really don't care. We as a church, when it comes to those who are in authority, should be known as a people who pray for those who are in government positions in authority. Jabez is known as a man of prayer. God's people should be known as a people of prayer. This is how we should be marked. The writer Ian e. Bounds, he's a writer around the 1976. He wrote a book called The Necessity of Prayer. Now, he has a, a lot of books, very short, quick reads, he used about 100 pages or less, all writing on different aspects of prayer. But in one of his books called The Necessity of Prayer, Ian Bounds writes this concerning Christians and prayer. He says, nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and so strongly as prayer. It is the one infallible mark and test of being a Christian. Christian people are prayerful. The worldly minded, prayerless. Christians call on God. Worldlings ignore God and call not on his name. Man cannot be called a Christian who does not pray. Those are strong words from Ian Bounds that that's our marking as the church, as the people of God. We should be known as a people who pray. 
Jabez serves as an example. He was known for his prayer, and we should be known to be a people of prayer. So that's the man. That is the man of prayer. And secondly, we said we'll look at the prayer of the man. Now, when you look at this prayer, at least at first glance, at least when I did, you kind of look at the prayer and you go, what audacity this man has to pray this kind of prayer to God. Lord, bless me, expand my borders, give me more land, give me more property, keep me from harm. There's a little audacity to his prayer. I think the problem is, is that even after reading the scripture several times, my lens on looking at this prayer was unfortunately colored by a book written around 2000 by Bruce Wilkinson called The Prayer of Jabez. You may have known of the book, maybe you don't know of the book. I'm going to be fair to the author and say I honestly don't remember reading that book, but I remember it being in our home. I was a teenager at that point, so even if I did read it, I didn't read it well. But I remember how people used the book. And I remember people would use that book and teach that our prayer should be, at least in my estimation, materialistic and selfish. They would take Bruce Wilkinson's book, they would take this prayer, and all of a sudden, our prayers became about our own material goods. Lord, help me be wealthy, help me to get this and get that. And my lens on the prayer of Jabez, unfortunately, was colored by misteachings by other people. Thought his prayer was selfish and materialistic, and yet when you read the prayer, it's not really materialistic or selfish at all. It's a good prayer and serves as an example for us as God's people. It's not materialistic, but Jabez's prayer is earthy. There's a real earthiness to his prayer. Actually, just last week I was speaking to someone and we were discussing different issues theologically and about Scripture. And the one thing I brought up was I think sometimes we forget just how earthy this book is. Yes, we are kind of lifted to higher heights. We know grand and read grand theology, but the scriptures itself, when you read some of the dirtiness and earthiness, this book is an earthy book and our prayers should be earthy prayers. Even before, as we read our New Testament text in Ephesians, as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he has this prayer, which is great, that we would know the depth and the height and the length, that we would know and have the knowledge of God. It's a great prayer. It's a lofty prayer. We should pray that way, and yet God still instructs us that we should have good, earthy prayers. The Reformed writer and theologian, Herbert Bovink, he writes in Reformed Dogmatics, he says, it, it has therefore been correctly said that the prayer for a pure heart is as supernaturalistic as the prayer for a healthy body. There is a distinguishing or a a categorizing that somehow a prayer for a pure heart is any better than the prayer for a healthy body. Bavik says God calls us to pray for both. Both are supernaturalistic because we look to the Lord to answer both prayers. Even more than Herman Bavink, when we as we'll do later in the service, as the Lord has taught us to pray, he calls us that, Lord, may you forgive us our debts and forgive us our sins as we forgive others. We ask for the Lord's kingdom to come, but one of the petitions in the prayer is what? 
Give us this day our daily bread. We pray for those things that are lofty. We pray for forgiveness of sins. And God says, and you still need to come to me for your physical needs. Still ask me for your daily bread. Still ask me for what you need in this life. Bavink says, I think as Jesus is teaching us, the prayer for forgiveness of sins and the prayer for our daily bread are just as good as the other. And both, we are looking to the Lord to provide for the things we need. If you want to look on the negative side of things, if we talk about earthly prayers, you look at the Apostle James, what he writes to the church in chapter 4. He says, you know, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The Apostle James is writing to a church. He says, you guys are fighting with one another. You guys are coveting one another's goods. And all you had to do was ask. It's it's a lesson that we teach to our children. If you ever seen your child struggling with something or trying to reach something that they can't reach because they're too short or you see your child struggling, sometimes at least I do. Hopefully it doesn't sound too cruel. I just stand and watch. Let's see how this. I know you can't reach it, but let's just see how this goes. And eventually one of my kids turned around. Can you get this for me? Yeah. You know, if you just asked me. I could have grabbed it for you. It's a lesson we teach our children all the time. You don't have because you don't ask. Trying to reach and grab on your own, knowing you can't reach it by yourself. Lessons we teach to our children, the same thing God teaches to us. He tells them you're fighting and quarreling. Because you haven't looked to God in prayer to provide for your needs. Jabez's prayer is an earthly prayer, but it's an example to us because our prayers are called, yes, to be lofty and to ask for forgiveness, but they're called to be earthy. The Lord would give us the things we need for this life. And so the prayer isn't materialistic, but it is earthy. But the prayer is not also selfish. Prayer is actually it's quite communal. Prayer is larger than Jabez himself. And we know this is the case. If we look at verse 10, the author of Chronicles, he says that Jabez prayed to the God of Israel. The author is marking out this is not just a personal prayer for Jabez. He didn't pray to his God. No, he prayed to the God of his nation. He prayed to the God of Israel. This is more. This is about more than just Jabez himself. This is a prayer for God's people. In these short verses, Jabez serves as a microcosm for the people of Israel. So his prayer is for the people of Israel. Remember before we said that Jabez, on one hand, he was man who was honored. Or at the very least, he was honorable. But he was also a man of pain. One commentator, as he's writing about this, he, he notes that the idea of Honor and glory has this idea of weightiness. And when you combine weightiness with birth, 
It may be a play on words where he's saying his mother had pain because he was just a heavy baby. It's a possibility, but I think what the author is saying is, as Jabez serves as a microcosm for the people of Israel, Israel Israel is an honored people, and yet they got a lot of pain. They are an honored people because God has chosen them to be his servant, to be his people. They are in an honored position, and yet they are a people that are full of pain. In the context of 1 Chronicles, when the author is writing, you've got to think, the, the people of Israel, they are back in their land, but the land they occupy is vastly smaller than what they were looking for. Not only that, the temple has probably not been rebuilt yet, and so their house of worship is not there. And in Israel, there is no one in the line of King David who is sitting on the throne just yet. And the people of Israel are being directed and ruled by outside forces. And so Israel, this grand, honored people, the people of God, are also dealing with a whole lot of pain. In the midst of all this pain, Jabez prays a prayer. And it's not selfish. It's for the people of God. Lord, may you expand my borders. The only way my land can get bigger is if the people of Israel's land gets bigger. So it's a prayer. Lord, expand our borders. It's a request that God may you grant us all of your covenant blessings that you promised to us. Then he asked, Lord, may you protect us. May you have your hand of protection on us as a people. Lord, may we live without pain. May we not live in the pain that we were born in, as Jabez would say. Jabez's prayer may seem like it's just for himself, but it's a communal prayer. It's a prayer that goes beyond himself. He pray, he's praying for the people of Israel as a whole. And even more, Jabez not only serves as a microcosm for the people of Israel, he serves as an example for all of humanity. He serves particularly as an example for all the people of God. Jabez is said to have been born in pain. This is meant to push us back and allude us to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall, where every human being is born in pain. Every human being is born in pain, and yet every human being is created in the image of God in an honored position. Listen to the way that Psalm 8 talks about humans. The writer says, when I look, or depending on translation, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Given him dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet. All of us, we're not Jabez, but all of us, creating the image of God, crowned with glory and honor, called to serve as God's vice regents over the land, we have a position of honor, and all of us deal 
with a life of pain. We all live with the complexity of honor and pain, of glory and pain. We all live with the pain of life. We all live with the pain of the fall. We deal with the pain of our own sin, the temptation that surrounds us. We all deal with the breaking down of our bodies in this fallen world. We deal with the struggle in relationships between one another. We deal with the corruptness that surrounds us. And yet we're created in God's image. We are in a position of honor, and yet we also live with a whole lot of pain. So we pray the same way that Jabez prays. We ask, Lord, keep us from the effects of the fall. Protect us. Keep us from harm. And not only keep us from the effects of the fall, but Lord, grant us your covenant blessings. May we experience your forgiveness. May we experience your joy. May we experience your peace that you give to your people. We, we pray just like Jabez does. Keep us from the pain of this life. Grant us your many covenant blessings. Even as Jabez, I think, would say, Lord, let my life not look like my birth narrative. I was born in pain. Don't make my life a life of pain. And we pray, Lord, we know we were born in sin. But may you keep me and protect me that my life is not marked by sin. Jabez's prayer is not selfish at all. It, it serves as an example to Israel, but it serves as an example to each of us. As we live this life, the complexity between honor and pain. Some of us will leave here in much pain. Go back to a home that's filled with pain. But we ask for God's covenant blessings in the midst of that pain. Jabez, the man of prayer. We looked at the prayer of this man. Lastly, look at the God to whom Jabez prays. Verse 10, there is good news. And God granted what he asked. That is good news. Jabez prayed. And just with a few words, the good news is given. God gave him what he asked for. Just from those few words, we know God hears us. God cares. And God will respond. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, many of us know this verse. We are given a promise by God. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. That's a promise given to God's people. That God hears he cares, and God most certainly will respond. 
That's good news even when it seems like God doesn't hear, when it seems like God doesn't care, and it seems like God is surely slow to respond. Our prayers sometimes seem to fall short, but this is good news to us. He may take longer than what we want, but God hears our prayers. If we take Chronicles and even expand it more, just take First and Second Chronicles as a whole, as it is essentially one book anyhow. Chronicles is the last book that is written. Now, it's not last in our Bible, but at least in timing, it's the last book that's written before the New Testament. And as the people of Israel are, they're in their land, but it's a small piece of land. One of the things that Chronicles is pointing towards and one of the things that the people of Israel is looking for is that finally God would place someone in the line of David on the throne once again. This is what they're looking for. This is what they are hoping for. And yet when we open up our New Testament, we know God has responded well to the cries of his people. He has granted them the king they were looking for, though some may reject him. They, he has granted them the king who's in the line of David to rule forever. Now, it may seem far from us, but that is a good promise even to us who are not Israelites. That we know that God always fulfills his promises because he has granted us the greatest request ever. We have the greatest gift in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we look to him for our covenant blessings, he is our covenant blessing. Even as Paul write later that all the blessings and all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. We know that God answers our prayers even when he takes a long time. We know he hears us because he's given us the greatest gift anyone could get. He's given us Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the greatest answer to our prayers. We look for protection from pain and harm. As we look for God's covenant blessings. We find all of that in one person, Jesus Christ. So as we're called to be a people of prayer, let us pray. And as we pray for God's covenant blessings, may we look to Jesus and him alone, for he is the answer. He is God's good promise to us. That I've heard you. I care. And in Christ, I have responded. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do indeed thank you that you hear us. We thank you for the greatest gift and the greatest response to our very needs, the person, your son, Jesus Christ. And as we pray, may we look to him and him alone. May God's people say amen.